This is C-SPAN's Afterwards podcast. This week, former Congressman Will Hurd, Republican from Texas, discusses his book, American Reboot, an idealist guide to getting big things done. He argues that America needs a reboot to address the challenges of the 21st century and offers his thoughts on how to move the country forward. We're at a moment where 72% of Americans think the country is on the wrong track. This is not just, this, this sentiment has not just existed under this administration. This has, sentiment has existed and grown over the last couple of administrations. And so the country feels like we got to do something different. He's interviewed by Congressman Blake Moore, Republican from Utah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Well, I'm really excited to jump into this. Uh, this is, a, is an excellent book with a perspective that is, is very unique. I love how you've built in a lot of personal side mm-hmm. to this. Um, I'm a, you know, sitting member of Congress. I don't get to be the one interviewing a lot. I'm really excited about this because uh, uh, I'm going to flip the script a little bit instead of being subject to lots of interviews. This is going to be fun. Well, as long as you agree not to treat this like a congressional hearing, then and I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm used actually, to sitting in your chair. No, I'm not looking, for, I'm not looking to score political points right, by any of this. Right, I'm actually right. just wanting to hear your perspective and a little bit behind what this book is about. And I, the part I want to jump right into, and the thing that impressed me the most is you talk a lot about misinformation. And you've, you've been, you, you were in Latvia in 2017, a lot of what was going on, you know, leading up to the current Russia, but all of this was written before Russia invaded Ukraine. But the thing we're dealing with right now, a lot on the Armed Services Committee where I sit, is, um, is misinformation going out and spewing all over the, the world from every angle, right? What's going on communicating here, what Russia's, you know, what Ukraine's sending to us. Like, you hit on that as one of the key challenges that we're going to face in the next, you know, phase of, of, our, of, of what we go on in the world. Like, I love your perspective on that because you kind of nailed that with, with what's going on in Russia right now. Look, I, I appreciate that. And, and for me, it's going to get worse, right? That's what's scary. The Russians have spent the last three decades perfecting information operations. And so for them, information, the information space is a domain, just like air, land, sea, and space. And so we, we knew, you know what they're going to do. They don't have the military capabilities they used to have. We're finding that right now in, in Ukraine. And so they have to control the, the information domain. Right now we're talking about, are they pulling troops back from Kiev? No, they're not, okay? Like, like this, you can't believe anything that they say. I remember, I, think, I want to say it was 2016 or 2017 when the Russians were deep in Syria. The Russians put out a notice that they were leaving Syria, and you saw these planes uh, leaving a Syrian air base, and everybody was like, oh, my God, the Russians are leaving. No. They were just, those planes were going back to Russia, and they were bringing new ones in, and they just put that information out there in order to deceive their opponents. And so the difficulty that we have, that we're dealing in now versus, like, the 80s, is that information can move so fast. Um, The Rand Corporation calls it truth decay where you're able to have, you know, separating, being able to separate fact from opinions, right? And then you have the systems 
that can move that information very quickly. Now, this isn't a new thing. One of the things that yeah. I talk about in the book, there was some British philosopher back in the 1400s was basically had a quote that a lie can can travel faster than, than the truth. Right? You're talking about yeah, that yeah. for for a couple for a couple of centuries. Now, my fear is when we get into if we have to if we ever get into a conflict with China and China's capabilities in in, in the digital sphere, specifically when it comes to deep fates, we have to assume. You know, one of the things that I, I've 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 been lucky to do since I've been out of Congress is work with some great technology companies, and I've seen a lot of companies that are kind of in stealth mode. The ability we have to assume the Chinese government today has the ability to render deep fakes that are real. Yeah. So so imagine what conflicts going to be like when when you have that as a tool. Well, you put it you put it in an interesting framework. You took foreign, political, <clears throat> issue-based, and lucrative. You, you talked a little bit about the lucrative side because it, it, it is, and, it's, and, and there's, there's so much to be gained from clickbait and you know, the way things get misconstrued between opinion and fact and how we're communicating that. But any, <clears throat> anything else you bring up? But again, foreign, political, issue-based, and lucrative. I haven't seen anywhere where the, the misinformation that we're going to be dealing with going forward be that, at our, that, our, that well articulated and it playing out literally a month or so after your book. I mean, as your book gets released, this stuff's playing out right in front of our eyes. You know, look, I, I appreciate that. And, and one of the entities that I've always had to ha, um, have looked to uh, was the EU Disinfo Lab. Um, they've been following this in a methodical way for a really long time. One of the things that I, I was able to do when I was in Congress and, and serving on the Intel Committee was whenever I would travel somewhere, I would always stop in the capitals of some of our friends. I would always try to stop in Brussels um, and talk to EU partners. And the EU Disinformation Lab, or Disinfo Lab is, is its technical title. Um, the work that they're doing on this is, is pretty fantastic. Um, the German Marshall Fund um, has a, a, a dashboard that tracks um, this kind of stuff. There's a, there's a, there's a great um, company based in Israel called, um, uh, called Cyabra. They track uh, fake accounts. The yeah. amount of fake accounts that are out there are shocking, mm-hmm. right? And so, so the ability to separate and understand this, and, and what is the motivations, right? When, when I was in the CIA recruiting spies and stealing secrets, you always start with, what is that motivation of that individual to potentially work with you? Yep. And so we have to understand the motivations of many of these actors. And this issue is, is I don't want to say easier, easier is probably not the right, the, the right word, when we're looking at our foreign adversaries. But we have domestic entities that are involved in some of these same kinds of, kinds of activities. We also need to make sure that our media and our press um, have standards when it comes to sharing information. And just because they got a piece of information from one person somewhere in an administration doesn't necessarily make that fact, right? And, and even the and plural so, of those types of anecdote doesn't make that data. For sure, right? for sure, for sure. That, that was, look, I, I was lucky for my, for my experiences in the agency and, and being an intelligence officer where the information is actually only one piece of the intelligence. Who did you get it from? How'd that person have access to it? And, and so, so this is broader than just people doing something on purpose. It's like, are we, are we you know, unwit, unwitting in, in, involved in some of these kinds of activities? Because we're not the ones looking at the, cor- the, the, the corroboration, veracity. We're not looking at all angles of it. We, just, we were just so quick to consume and quick to communicate. You actually bring up a point. Another key theme of this book 
is that America, we need, we, we need, the, we need the, our allies to love us and we need our enemies to fear us. Mm-hmm. You just spouted off five or six really strong allies. Uh, talk a little bit about that because that's a key piece of this and, and you know, in the lack of, 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 of global leadership from the U.S. and you fear for that in the next phase of this. Look, it's, 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 it's worrisome, right? So, so I, why did I write this? I wrote this book because I want to make sure this century stays the American century. And, you didn't put and, it in 250 years, previous 250. Absolutely. We need to be thinking about the next 250, what, so even beyond century. What, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And, and we can, but there's a question mark about whether we stay that way. And, 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 and let's look at, let's look at the, the events in Ukraine right now. When you look at the global, when you look at a globe and see the number of countries that are not participating in the financial sanctions against Russia, it's pretty staggering. Yeah. It's like most of Latin America, most of Africa, most of the Middle East are not participating. And so you got to ask yourself why. Now, I have an uh, idea. Let me, <laughs> let me hear it, though. No, no but look, but the, the, the why is not only are they afraid of Russia, yeah. they're actually afraid of China. They're afraid of China, the Belt and Road. And, and, and for me, look, some people have criticized uh, President Biden about how he framed his speech in Poland about democracies versus autocracies. I, I think that was appropriate. And, and that is where things are, are, are devolving into. And so the only way we, the United States, is going to be able to compete is if we have a bigger posse than the Chinese government. Yep. And, and, and I make it clear in the book. We, are, we talk about a new Cold War with Russia. Yes, we're, we're actually in a conflict with Russia right now. But the, the, the relationship that is going to define the rest of this century is the U.S., the relationship between the U.S. and China. I actually think both of us can exist at the same time as long as we're, we're competing and co-op, you know, we're, we're going to cooperate, we're going to compete. We're frenemies. Um, we're economically but, integrated more than, I mean, yeah. what, what did we put restrictions on? Other than energy and the, the banking, what did, we, what did America, shellfish, mm-hmm. vodka, uh, some diamonds? Like, that was all there was. Imagine we're in that kind of conflict with, with China. Our economic integration is so vastly different. Um, but it, but it, it does. It presents an opportunity mm-hmm. for us to, you know, you know, have a shared interest to avoid this type of conflict. Well, Hopefully a better deterrent yeah. to, to, to this repeating with, with Taiwan as, as Russia's done and they're currently doing to, to Ukraine. For sure, because what do the Russians have to lose? Nothing. Yeah. The Chinese have a lot to lose. We have a lot to lose. Yeah in that potential conflict. So how do we prevent that from happening? Make sure your friends, you know, I said in the book, make sure your friends love you. And, and that starts with um, working with them. Why have we not seen some high-level delegations going throughout Latin America? The Western Hemisphere should be with us 100% when it comes to, when it comes to Russia. If they're not with us when they come to Russia, it's going to be even more difficult when, when um, this conflict and we have to do something tough against the Chinese government. Um, I've, you know, when I was in Congress, since I've been out of Congress, talking with very senior leaders throughout the Middle East and their governments that always say, Will, don't make us choose. And they're saying, don't make us choose between the United States and China. And they're saying it that way but to, by implying you're not going to like our answer. And so these are issues that we have to deal with now. Um, the biggest issue driving you know, relationships in the, in the Middle East right now is, is, is Iran and how we handle that issue. And so, so all of these things are connected. And the world works better when America is showing leadership in this international order that we created following the end of the Second World War. 
Uh, America is at its best when we are helping people. Uh, you know, we become an exceptional nation not because of what we have taken, but because of what we have given, and that is where we need to be focused. The the deficiency when you're sitting there across from another ally and they're telling you, you might not like my answer, needs to be a huge wake up call that we're not leading out enough and we're not providing that that, that leadership across uh, across the globe. When I was running my own campaign, you know, I'm in my first term of Congress. When I was running my own campaign, it was the start of the pandemic. And I went back to the same exact thing. We have to build an international coalition if we want to ever find a way to hold China to account. We're not going to be able to do things, you know, legally. Or I can't subpoena them to come talk at a, you know, congressional <laughs> hearing. Right, right, right. But as a global... As a, as, a, as a global entity, we have to be able to build that strong international community to be able to, to demand, no, we want answers. We need to know, what, what, so this, this affected all of us, and what, do, what are we going to do about it? You know, I, so many things are happening. You know, imagine my first 15 months of Congress, sure. from everything that's happened from January, yeah. then yeah. Afghanistan, and then Ukraine, and inflation, crazy energy prices, all that kind of stuff. Like, my, my constituents have been through turmoil, and I've been, you know, navigating all this. The point I make is, we're not in the right spot right now. You talk about getting off the X. It's a concept that I understand. Um, I'd love to hear you kind of expound on it a little bit more sure. about what America can do to get off the X. We're, yeah. we're not in the right spot right now in a, in a lot of areas. We're, we're, doing some, we're, do, we're still doing some of the good. We're still the global leader in, in numerous ways. The dollar is still the mm-hmm. currency reserve status. But those are, those are under threat for that next, that next century? What do we need to do to get off the X? Look, to your point, the fact that Saudi Arabia is even thinking about um, you know, uh, selling uh, energy to China and they're in Mibi, right? Like that's, that's, that's a scary thing and we need to be, we need to be concerned about this. And, and get off the X. That's the second lesson you learn on day one at the farm, the super secret CIA training facility. The first yeah. lesson is lock your car door. Second lesson is get off the X. The X is the location where something's going down. And the last place you want to be where it's going down is where it's going down. Yep. Right? And we're at a moment where 72% of Americans think the country is on the wrong track. Yep. This is not just, this, this sentiment has not just existed under this administration. This has, sentiment has existed and grown over the last couple of administrations. And so the country feels like we got to do something different. Yes, we are the most powerful nation that have, has ever existed on this country. Capitalism has uplifted people out of, you know, to, 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 to achieve heights that were previously unimaginable. And, but we have to make sure that this continues. And what's getting in the way is the inability to get big things done because of, of political gridlock yep. within, within Washington, D.C., and, and that is metastasizing to state capitals and city councils and, and such. And so for us, for, for me, this, this notion that um, a, a, America has become exceptional when we play a role and we lead, and the world is interconnected. When my man George Washington gave his, his farewell address and said, watch out about entanglement with other countries, the world was very different back then. And so, so now we're so interconnected. But we have to, we, elected officials, people in, in administrations, have to continue to make the case why these things matter. We have to make the case, why does t- Taiwan matter to the, 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 the couple that owns that coffee shop in the, in, in the Midwest, right? Why does the person that's selling, you know, uh, skiing attire, why should they care? 
Why should my brother who sells Thanks, so cable... Thanks, shout out to the most beautiful <laughs> congressional districts in Utah <laughs> where we have Park yeah. City, Snow Basin, some of the best ski resorts. Thank you for that. No, no, of course, of course. Um, you know, my brother, my brother sells cable. Why does he know? And, and we have to make these cases. And, and sometimes, right, uh, those of us that, that are involved in these things have failed to articulate why this stuff matters, right? And so it starts with that. And, and what I've learned, look, it's the same in your district, it's the same in the old district I represented. People care about putting food on their table, a roof over their head, and taking care of the people that they, that, and making sure the people they love and are healthy, happy, and safe. enough to put away for retirement. 100%, right? And so, but all of these things are interconnected. And we're better off. You, your retirement's gonna be better when America is the one um, leading this, this global, this global um, uh, 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 international order that we created after World War II. The, the, the issues that we're going to have to deal with, super complicated. Biotech, the technology exists today to program DNA the way you program a computer. The technology is soon to exist where we have AGI, artificial general intelligence. This is where an algorithm is going to be smarter than any human on a particular thing. Right? It, it, quantum computing. Up to this point, we've always been the people programming those. If that transition happens, you're, you're right. We're moving into a realm that was, was, was made about in movies from Terminator days. So, so I, I've actually been going back, re-watching old science fiction, re-watching, re-reading <laughs> old sci-fi books. A death. lot of them have predicted some of these things. right? And so these, there are some legitimate debates about the role of technology in society. We should be having those conversations up here in Washington, D.C. And, and so, so, so this is why this is, this is important, and I try, to, uh, I try to articulate some of these things, the topics that we should be talking about in order to make sure. And, and, and I framed in, you know, my degrees in computer science. The first job I ever had was in college was working in a computer lab. And when the computers weren't working, what did I do? I rebooted the sucker, right? Yep. It's not changing the software. It's getting the software back to its original form. Yeah. And, and I think that's, 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 what we, that's what we need to do. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Let me pull it back a little bit from the, 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 the tech discussion. Yeah. But you talk about how the contempt we have in our political world and how the gridlock that we face, I've seen it for 15 months now. Majority of bills still get passed on suspension, but we don't tackle the big things. Mm-hmm. We don't tackle the big things because, you know, with a, with a four-seat, with, with four-seat majority and the margin, these small, I was thinking this could be, this could be the case, but right now, you know, politically, Democrats have the White House, House, and Senate. That, that moved everything to a, a very, very progressive push that, mm-hmm. that I, that I you know, firmly, you can firmly look at a lot of bad outcomes, inflation, energy prices, things like that. But the things that Congress needs to be addressing and fixing, I just jotted down a few. Immigration, mm-hmm. debt and deficit, health care, like, we're not tackling that. Mm-hmm. We're not being able to fix it. That, to me, is what like are some of our n- most near-term issues are. That if we don't figure out a way to come come together and not quit worrying about, you know, 
the political ramifications are always looking through this stuff from a political lens. We are legislators. We are lawmakers, mm -hmm. and we need to be focused on this through a policy perspective. But we all, you know, we're forced in this situation. You talk a lot about this in the book, mm -hmm. you know, you know, appeasing base, appeasing this kind of stuff, just, you know, because you have re-election always coming up every two years. Like, we've got to address these things, and our gridlock, and, and it's, it's making it very difficult to. So, so concentration of power in the hands of the few is always a bad thing. And I, this trend in Washington started probably two, two, almost three decades ago when decisions started being made in, by leadership. Yeah. 20, 30 years ago, the appropriations bill was written by the appropriations chair and the ranking member. Decisions along the NDAA was decided by the chair of the House Armed Services and, and that ranking member. Now a lot of these things originate and start with the speaker or the majority leader within those, within those offices. And that's where, and, and, and when you had the diffusion of decision making down to, um, to leaders of the committees and subcommittee yeah. chairs, they worked with their committees. And so they, did, they worked more with people on the other side of the aisle right. than, the, than the, their own folks. And that's why when, you, when we think of any major piece of legislation, over the last 50 years, those were always done in a divided, in a divided uh, 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 Congress and, and a different, in a, in a different White House. Right? Last time we balanced the budget, when was it? It was uh, late 90s, yeah, 1997. Yeah. A Democratic president and a Republican, Republican House, right? House, yeah. And you, you said two to three decades ago. It's about two to three decades ago that we actually did something, and the you know just the what's going on over the last few decades mm -hmm. that's made it so we can't. Mm -hmm. address these issues. Look, and, and it goes back to, look, it, it starts with primaries. In 2018, the last non-presidential election, the average contested primary was 54,000 people. 54,000 people. That's crazy, right? That means 27,501 people decide who that, who that person, that member of Congress is going to be. And that happened in, in, in 92 seats, 92% of the House seats are decided in a primary. Yeah. So 2% of the population. I'd love to up to those numbers after this yeah. year, after yeah. there's been a so, 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 so 2020, right, in 2020, the number was close to about 60,000. That what was happening in a, in, in a primary. And so, so, so that means elected officials are speaking to the extremes of the party, yeah. not the middle where the majority of the country is. That's why you have 72% of Americans think the country's on the wrong track. But the, you know, so, so the answer. That's why you have almost a single digit approval rating of Congress, but each individual rep in their own better. districts has a little bit more popularity or gets reelected sure. and things like that. For sure. So, so, so the, the, the structure, right, the, the system is, is designed poorly. Now, how do you fix it? Get more people voting in, in, in primaries. In primaries. Yeah. Um, I was in, um, I forget what year it was, but I'm on a panel on, at South by Southwest. This is the... the down in Austin. Down in Austin, Texas. Yeah, music right? festival. Music festival, TV festival. Now it's a lot of technology. And I'm on the stage with, I think, four other YouTube stars. I don't know who any of them were, but all four of them, I guarantee they did, all four of them combined probably had a billion followers on YouTube. And at the time, I think I had like 60, right? I was like, <laughs> why am I on the stage? One of the people there was the digital director for The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Okay. And the movie Moana was about to came, come out. And she says, she goes, if Moana fails at the box office, 
are we going to criticize moviegoers and shame on you moviegoers for not going to movies, or are you going to say it was a crummy movie? Now, Moana, I've seen Moana, it's an excellent it's an movie. Excellent movie. Right? Um, and I think it was very successful. It was a box office success. Think, yeah. And, of course, if that would have happened, we would have said it was a crummy movie. And then her, her point was, only in politics do we blame the person that is supposed to be making the, the purchasing decision, right, going to the ballot box, yeah. versus the product. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with that. I, I think we, a lot of people are, are not appealing. We just went through an election in Texas. Three million people voted in the, in the primaries, March 1st, out of 30 million. That's a terrible number. That apathy, and I would say part of it is, we are not inspiring those kinds of people that, that, are, that, are, that are not coming out to vote. Because ultimately, this is the title, this is one of the chapters in the book, we, you know, too many leaders are interested in fear-mongering rather than inspiring, right? And I think if we, if we switch that, that's going to help us. It's hard. The system's not designed that way. You a ton about that in your book, though, too, and about your own personal Leadership. So I mentioned U.S. leadership on the global scale, but individually, like, what are some of the things you take from your background, your personal story, that drive your, your ideas on leadership? Uh, look, I, th I think it goes back to, um, I was bullied as a kid. Right? My head's literally been this size since I was four years old. Right? We have evidence, you know, my mom pulled out a little, you know, picture and I put I it I bet you, it, so yeah. I married an axe murderer, didn't help, the it, movie it, it didn't yeah, help. No, it didn't, it didn't. Um, and, and look, I had a messed up, had messed up teeth, I had a speech impediment until, until I was in high school. Um, and so I got bullied a lot, wore a size uh, 13 shoe when I was in fifth grade, right? <laughs> and and so, so for me, that experience taught me Listen, it doesn't matter what other people think about you. It's just what your, what your loved ones do, right? And so that gave me a, a thick skin. Um, my parents, my dad always taught me to have a PMA, a positive mental attitude, right? Yeah. My, my dad's black, my mom's white. My parents moved to South Texas in 1971 after meeting in California. And they live in the house they live in now because it was the only place that somebody um, would sell to an interracial couple, right? Which is, which is crazy, it's crazy. And so, so the, those are kind of the experiences that drive me and I've learned, just be honest. Be honest and do the right thing. Tell people what you're doing and why you're doing it. One of the benefits of having represented a truly 50-50 district was that no matter what I did, half the district was upset with me. Yep. But as long as I went and told people what I was doing and why I was doing it, they appreciated. They, they knew they didn't have to agree with me. And, and when folks push me on this, I always say, do you agree with your spouse 100% of the time? Do you agree with your best friend 100% of the time? And, of course, the answer is always no. Right. So it's like, why do you expect to agree with your elected official 100% of the time? And so those things are, is what kind of what drove me um, when, I, when I was up here and, and, and lessons that I've used you know, most of my life. I, that advice... We spoke before I joined yeah. Congress with someone who had connected us, similar, you know, shared background, things like that. Um, and I love that conversation. And I, I, I had to use that. And I don't think you shared that with me. I don't think we got into that in-depth conversation. But that's one of the, my biggest points that I've learned about this. I'm, I get a yes or no vote. Because you know, you know, nobody's supposed to make that present vote. Yeah, <laughs> you get right, made fun of for right, making the P right, on, that little, right, on that little dial right. there. You get a yes or no vote. Like, there's a lot of context that goes into this type of stuff, and someone's always going to be angry. I'm from a very conservative district in Utah, mm -hmm. right? And, and I've made votes that didn't necessarily go just, you know, down the majority of the party line. And I've had to show up that next day 
and tell people the context as to why and dig into the details of it, the constitutionality of it. And, you know, it earns trust over time. But it's the harder way to, to do it. It is flat <laughs> yeah, out sure. a lot more difficult. And it's something that I'm proud of that I've, uh, that, that I've been able to do. And then I go back and then you, you share that context with them. They get it. And I always leave my town halls with, look, as you've seen, some of you call me too conservative. Some of you call me too moderate. All within about 10 minutes of each other. Right. Like, I'm trying to provide context so you can you know, understand what decision-making I'm going through. That's what I want you to know as, as, one, of my, uh, as one of my constituents. And I say, look, you're not going to agree with every single decision. But I encourage you to find an area that we do agree, and let's build a relationship from there. And I try, I'm trying to do that here even with my colleagues. And yeah, but, but well, you're articulating what your values are, and they know that, right? And, so, and, and, and for me, it's one of the things about your audio and your video have to match. The things you say have to match yeah, the things you do. And so when you do that, people are going to respond. They, again, they may not agree with you, but they appreciate you. Oh, and by the way, and you're showing up. You're not afraid of your constituents. And so when you go there and you articulate stuff, people will be like, okay. And the fact that they know that they're going to hear your perspective goes, goes, goes a long way. And I, I always remember, you know, we, we get all these, you know, letters about some particular thing, HR 2727. You're like, what's HR 2727? And, and you have to be like, how do I feel about this? Right? And always starts with, what do I believe? And I remember one that was fascinating. It was about whether it should be illegal to eat cats or dogs. And I'm sitting there like... It's been a couple of years in Korea, so I have an opinion on this. <laughs> sure, but I, I'm just like, eating cats or dogs is strange, for sure. But should it be illegal, right? And so it's like, yeah. what principle are you basing it off? Now, what we found out was it was already illegal to eat cats and dogs. The last time a dog was eaten in the United States was like in 1982 or something. It's super, super weird story. But even, I, I use that as an example of, you know, you gotta find what your value is and then, and then, and then make decisions based on that. And, and sometimes, I, I talk to kids, I, I try to talk to as many high schools and middle schools as I can. And I always tell the kids, being a person of character takes practice. Just like, being, playing a sport or music, an instrument, or si being a scientist or a doctor, um, being a person of character takes practice. And the, 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 when you're able to make good decisions and do the right things when the stakes are low, it makes it a lot easier to do the right thing when the stakes are high. Right. And, and, and unfortunately, I think there's too many people that sometimes get to positions of power that have never had to make tough decisions when the consequences, doing the, when doing the right thing meant the consequences were negative. And it's hard for some people to understand that, but, but it happens. And so when you have zero experience in making that, then when the, when the consequences are high, you're probably going to make a bad decision because you don't have that experience. Well, you're job. making this interview easy. Good, because I've never interviewed anybody before. <laughs> I would not um, have known that. Yeah, 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 right. I, I hope Beat the Press is watching and I'm going to get recruited out of this gig. You talk about taking conservative principles to unreached communities. It is something I have been trying in my, you know, even though I'm a strongly conservative, I represent like Park City. Yeah. Where you go to Park City, it's the one, it's the one county that I lost, you know, because it's, it tends to be more liberal. More, mm -hmm. it, and I will still show up there and do town halls, and you get into some really interesting debates. Most of it ends up being around climate change. Sure. But um, you talk a lot about taking that conservative message to unreached communities 
How have you continued to do that? Mm -hmm. How have you, how did you do that when you were in office? And why, well, is, why is it so important? So, so I represented 29 counties, two time zones, 820 miles of the border. It took 10 and a half hours to drive across my district at 80 miles an hour, which was the speed limit in most of the districts. Yeah, I'm not asking. Yeah, yeah no, it wasn't the speed limit very, in all the very districts. Legal. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I very found legal. out the hard way. You respect um, law enforcement across the yeah, board, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Never make their job harder. Exactly. <laughs> um, and a third of the district didn't have cell phone service, right? And so, so the dynamics when I first ran, or when I won my, my first election, was that if every Republican voted for me, I would still lose. So I had to appeal to independents and, and Democrats. Yeah. And I took a title representative seriously. Um, I represented everybody, people that voted for me, the people that didn't vote for me, and the people that didn't vote. And so, so I took each one of those constituencies as, as serious as, as any one of them. And so part of it was showing up. And in a lot of these communities, they know it's hard to get to those places. Um, one of my favorite towns um, is, is in Loving, is Loving, is in the Loving County. Okay, mm -hmm. the entire county has 90 people in it. It's really hard to get to. Yeah, and 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 I went about six, seven times, and I met 75 people. And the county judge one time was like, I was like, Judge, I was like, Man, I've met 75. There's still like 15 I haven't met. And he's like, Well, they don't want to be met, right? And I said, Check, seen them, met them all. Yeah. But but so so part of it was to understand those parts of the district. Yeah. I was a black Republican representing a 71% Latino district. People were like, nobody thought I had a chance. And I would, but I, but I would go to these communities that had never seen an elected official. So this is the benefit, right? When you show up, most of the times, other people have never shown up, so you get an opportunity. So I'd be in El Paso, Texas, far west Texas, overwhelmingly Latino, overwhelmingly Democrat. I'd knock on people's door, and they're like, uh, why are you here? I was like, well, because... You know, I want to represent you, and I want to hear what your issues are. And they're like, uh, no one's ever done that before. And guess what? You learn. And here's what I learned. Whether I'm in you know, El Paso or I'm in the neighborhood where the San Antonio Spurs live, right? Mm -hmm. same issues. And pe like, I would say the exact same thing. My, my remarks didn't change depending on where I went. The questions didn't change from depending on where I went. And, and that's what, doing that early on made me realize that these, are, the, the, these issues are, you know, we agree on 80%. Way more unites us than divides us. 100%, I've said that 100 times. And so for me now, it's like you gotta go and, and, and talk about the issue. Talking about education. In Texas, with the school choice issue, there's, a, there's been a longitudinal study um, over 20 years that shows that the achievement gap between black and brown kids has decreased when they go to a charter school in Texas. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Why it's are we not person. talking more about that stuff, right? And when you take that message, and look, I'm a proud product of, of public schools. I think public schools should be able to have the same ability to be flexible the, the way charter schools can. But these are where some of the debates are. And if you take that positive message to people, they, they appreciate it. So, um, you know, that actually just illustrates the point that you know, you're elected by maybe a four, you got 800,000 people mm -hmm. in your congressional district and, you know, you tend to, in most of these districts, you tend to be, you know, elected in the, um, in the primary or to that nature. But you, you have to be willing to rise above that and go out and serve. I've found, you know, constituent service to be a really op mm -hmm. awesome opportunity. That people, if you just communicate with people and if you'll just be out there and be present, then there's this, you know, tampering down of the rhetoric and they're like, okay, 
All right, I get it. And yeah, we do. We do kind of agree on this particular thing. And I think you can take all the major issues, like I said, from immigration to debt and deficit, all those things that are really plaguing our country right now. Um, I, uh, not to get political here, but that's the way that we have politicians to, not getting political. We've done a pretty good job. I think job, we have yeah. done a really good job. <laughs> yeah, I, could, I could actually watch this interview. Yeah. Yeah. Is... That's what I think the American people want to see right now. There is this, there's, I would categorize it maybe as a movable middle. You kind of saw it maybe in the, in the Virginia governor's mm-hmm. race. They're like, oh, okay, so decisions made in Washington have really affected my life, right? And I work on the Natural Resources Committee as well, mm-hmm. so we talk a lot about energy policy. It's yep. energy and climate and conservation. We, we, we go through all that type of work. And there's an opportunity right now, I think, for the Republican Party to really hit this 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 this, this this group of people that are like, okay, I was frustrated at this, but oh goodness, now this has really affected my life. And, and if you see this amount of government spending take place, and it suppresses our workforce mm-hmm. when, with existing supply chain issues. I don't blame everything with inflation on President Biden's administration. Mm-hmm. Like we, we're going to have a supply chain issue as we kind of ramp back up out of the, out of the pandemic. But, but injecting $2 trillion of, of, of non-offset spending that was masqueraded as a COVID bill like those types of things go directly into the equation of inflation. And there's only one way, mm-hmm. there's only one thing you get out of that. When you depress your workforce, you load your monetary supply, you get inflation. Right. And unfortunately, the, 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 there's only one way out of it too, and that's to raise interest rates and slow the economy down, and that's going to hurt people too. So it's just people are recognizing that and there's, a, there's a movable middle. And so I love how much you're talking about going out to unreached communities and for the Republican Party to need to be, to look more like America. No, for sure. And, and you, you mentioned you mentioned Governor Yunkin. A 10% swing from a, a year prior. Yeah. Right? Well, it wasn't Yunkin in the race, though. Right. So it's hard to really... I mean, sure. That's a that's at the president. So Biden and Trump, would that have been a big a gap? If Yunkin was running in 2020, mm-hmm. would there have been a 10? That's... I'm, I'm a pollster by trade, so I get, <laughs> sure, I get excited sure, about that sure. type of yeah. stuff. But the, they did. They went Democrat in their last statewide election by yeah. 10 points, and they swung... Hugely towards Youngkin. Yeah, that's a trend, right? Yeah. And, 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 I, and a look, testament to Youngkin's campaign right. and For how sure. they reached out and, and made sure the things that were mattering to people. I, I think the American voter is a f- sophisticated voter. Yeah. And, and they do want something different. They, look, I think there's a lot of conversations about or. We're going to do this or this, yeah. right? No, let's make it an and. Let's make an and, and issue. And one of the issues you, you, you've mentioned uh, is immigration. This one drives me crazy. Because Republican primary voters and Democratic primary voters want to see a solution. And that solution, they agree on like 80%. And, and there is a bill. Right? This, this is probably one of the things that I was most frustrated by in my time in Congress, the USA Act, that would have addressed border security, would have streamlined legal immigration. You know, what, what's happening on the border right now is an absolute crisis and the worst it's ever been. Mm. We're not using our intelligence to dismantle these human trafficking organizations and networks that are happening. The difference between a human smuggler and a terrorist, the terrorist only has to do something once. A human smuggler and a drug trafficking organization has to have infrastructure that can replicate activity, which means it's something you can dismantle. And so we're not doing enough on that piece. But if 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 you streamline legal immigration, it takes off some of that pressure. You also, in every industry, needs workers. 
And it might be seasonal workers in Utah or agriculture workers in Florida. Agriculture, our H-2A and H-2B requests, that alleviates pressure on the border as well. I will say your your successor, the individual in your seat now, one of the most sound voices. I'm sure he cares a lot about what you had done. Um, One of the most sound voices on immigration to actually look at it as a holistic approach. Because we do. We agree about the outcome. We agree about what we want to get to. And it's just the process on how we can get it. And everybody's, you know, kind of scared to vote one way or the other if it looks too much like this, because then this and then, when we've got to solve this. I, I remind people, the DREAM Act, when it was first brought up, it was, it failed because of six Democratic senators when President Obama was in office. And um, the USA Act was prevented from coming in the floor by Republican leadership. But now Democratic leadership is preventing to bring that forward. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, it's because leadership on both sides of the party would rather use this issue as political football. As a political football. Yep. 100%. Right? And so, so these are some of the real solutions. Oh, and by the way, what people forget, like, folks want you to go back to your district and be like, I did this, right? Like, I fixed this problem. Like, this is, this is what, you know, I did for this community. That's a way bigger motivation than being like, I prevented those jerks on the other side from, from doing this X, okay. Y, or C. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's, what's wild for me is, like, some people say, hey, Will, your views are a little, um, you know, a little too sweet, right? Like, you're a, little too, you're a little too optimistic. Well, I'm optimistic because the people that are out there and I talk to are the ones that are like, hey, this is what we need, this is what we want. That's the opportunity. We always, we always want to look at the last election or fight the last war, not the next war. And, and there's opportunities in, uh, abound. And we got to get through this because the, the, the challenges we're having to address are going to be crazy. I'm not doing my first interview without bringing up March Madness. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you talk a little bit about Coach Krzyzewski yeah. and you know, an, an analogy there, and you relate it even to Afghanistan. Any thoughts on that? I thought that was fascinating. And, of course, timely. I mean... What kind of final? I had I actually had Kansas and um, Nova playing each other. Okay. So I'm okay. in the game. So I, I have Kansas winning my bracket with with my buddies back home. So I'm still in the game, but I didn't see the Duke UNC side playing out. And what an awesome time for that to take place. For sh- for sure. Look, I, these young kids for their 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 fabled coach, right? You yeah. know, they're gonna they're gonna, they're put they got a little extra in the tank. Um, you know, my, my brother is super disappointed because he's a Texas Tech Red Raider. Uh, yeah, so they, so they Duke had to put them. My, my bracket had Houston going all the way. <laughs> um, so I, I was, so mine's, mine's messed up. But, but the analogy I use is Coach K talks about how you know, if you try to hit somebody with your fists, you know, and your fingers are open, you're going to break your hand. But when you close that, when, you, when you, all five fingers are closed together, you can pack a, a powerful punch, right? <laughs> And, and think of this, Chris Rock's lucky there was. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> we'll exactly. move on. We're moving yeah, on. We're not exactly, going there. Exactly. Um, and and so so the the, the stress of, of teamwork, right? Yeah. Um, is 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 important. And you know, um, another another good um, another good coach um, um, that uh, I used to play in the in the um, um, the member lobbyist basketball game. I play in that. And and we had we had a guest coach, a coach Calipari. Right? Oh, I remember people telling me about that. And yeah. and it was great. Like we were behind because the members, you know, we hadn't practiced together much and, and our, our endurance was pretty terrible. 
and we were getting we got real close. We got within two points, and he called he called a, he called a, a, a timeout. And there's all these grown men, right, sitting around. And, and coach, he looked each of us in the eye, and we all calmed down. And he goes, breathe. <laughs> Just breathe, right? And we're like, yeah, we're going to breathe, right? And so sometimes when we, when we settle down, right, and we, we can look to sports as some examples on how to solve many of our problems, uh, work together, uh, be calm and cool, and we can get a lot accomplished. Um, that is, is, uh, is, that's a great, you know, that's a great sentiment, um, in communicating that because what, what, you know, what coach K has done in his career is, is really neat. And you have to sort of build that, that, uh, that structure. Um, and again, I want to just go back to this, this next century. Mm-hmm. Like I've showed, I've, I've laid out some of my, you know, big things that we need to be addressing uh, but, you know, I serve on armed services, intelligence background. I've served myself in Southeast Asia and lived over there. Um, let's talk just, let's zero in a little bit more on the China side. Sure. Uh, I personally think our debt in China are two of our, our, most, our biggest challenges. Mm-hmm. And so we, we talked a little bit about this, but um, the, the Belt and Road Initiative, and you, t- you, you explain it better than, 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 than I really seen it articulated in text before just how concerning that is the debt that these countries are getting into to china is exactly what china wants Mm -hmm. to have happen they don't care if they have to spend a little bit more on an infrastructure project in africa or latin america Um, they're going to be able to use that for their u.n security that's a scary, scary thing. I'd love your perspective on that. Look, so, so it, it starts with, we, we talked earlier about motivations. What is the motivation of the Chinese government and Xi Jinping? It's very simple. It's to surpass the United States of America as a global superpower. This is not my opinion. This is not me laying in my bed thinking at night what is going to happen. This is not collecting intelligence mm. when I was in the CIA about what the Chinese government is doing. This is what the Chinese government has said about themselves in English. So, so start with that. And how are they going to surpass us? They're going to surpass us by being the global leader in a number of advanced technologies. 5G, AI, quantum, um, hypersonics, uh, biotech, you know, there's, it's space, right? There's, there's about 14 I- industries. 5G, we've been talking a lot, people talk a lot about 5G. Mm-hmm. Why does 5G matter? It's going to be awesome to download season three of Ted Lasso in two seconds on my phone. Yeah. Okay. But the, re- the reality of 5G, when you have your phone and you do something on your phone and it goes into the cloud and a response comes back, that, that time it takes for that process to happen is, is latency. 5G is going to allow us for that, that trip to take place in one nanosecond. Our thoughts are in seven nanoseconds. So we are going to have the entire power of the internet in our hands in real time. What is that going to allow us to do, right? And so when China, and Huawei specifically, they're, they're they, a, a Chinese technology company. Why'd you bring it up? Because I, I would have taken us yeah, there too. Owns 30% of the world's um, infrastructure when it comes to 5G. So that means 
anything that's traveling over that infrastructure, they can influence. I don't care how great you think your encryption is. The ability that that process has to travel over an infrastructure owned by an adversary, they can do a whole lot of stuff with it. They can, they can stop it. They can try to get into it. Yep. They can turn it back. They can change it, right? And so, so this is why, and, and it starts with 5G, because artificial intelligence, in order to have real intelligence and to have AI at, your, at the edge, right, at, at the, at, in your phone, in your device, you have to have that 5G infrastructure in order to make that happen. That's why these two things are connected. Vladimir Putin said, whoever masters AI is going to master the world. He said that back in 2014. I think it's the only thing he and I agree on, right? And so, so this is the methodical approach that the Chinese government is, is taking. We talk about privacy in the United States a lot. Europe, there's, there's a transatlantic beef on privacy. Yeah. But guess what? You know who doesn't care about civil liberties? It rhymes with the Chinese government, right? They are the, the and, and so you do not want these new technologies being driven and decided by an authoritarian government who doesn't care about civil liberties. These are the with issues. With the delivery place. mechanism in Huawei. With the delivery mechanism. And okay, why? So TikTok. I don't care if you do a silly dance and share it, okay? I don't. However, all of the data, tagging your friends, tagging locations, user behavior, all of that stuff, that is why TikTok was a national security issue because all of that can go in the government, the Chinese government can use it and they can use all that information to train their algorithms. Whoever has the most data is gonna be, whoever has the most data and has the most computing power is gonna be able to make these algorithms do something. So imagine a, a scenario in which an algorithm can know absolutely everything you've ever done digitally about you and then direct ads or influence you based on that information. Look, I, I use... Timely information, that you, that they're, they're identifying when you're making a decision about something and they're able to directly influence you. I, I can't tell what, you how I don't really care have. if it's in a grocery yeah. store. It might even help me. It might even help me, like, oh, what product actually do, do I care about? But if I'm going to be making a political decision and I'm going to go vote and I'm, you know, I'm getting the ballot, they know it's coming three weeks before and they go and they communicate it, it's... Scary. It's scary. Right? And, and, and so, so, look, we should embrace these things, right? Technology is going to also allow us to do things like, look, we're already seeing um, energy companies using artificial intelligence to improve um, the amount of hydrocarbons they get out of the ground. They're using less water. They're using less land, right? We're seeing agriculture to be able to, you know, boost, uh, boost um, crops, outputs with less water, less land. Like, look, it's amazing. Um, we're able to detect more. Um, right now, you can look at your iris and detect the number of, of, of cancers well in advance yeah. of any kind of uh, technology that we have now, which means people are going to live longer lives. So there's a great upside. I always say we need to take advantage of technology before it takes advantage of us. And so this is the landscape in which we're going to have to compete with the, the government of, of China. And I want our 401ks to be based off of investments in American companies, not Chinese companies. I want our kids growing up to, and our grandkids growing up, 
to get jobs with great American or European or Western companies, our allies, our countries of our allies, mm -hmm. so de democratic countries. That's what I want to happen. Look, I, don't get me wrong, I, I watch a, a foreign film every once in a while. I watch the, that, um, the, what was the show on Netflix that was in Korean? Um, you know, I watch that with, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. with the subtitles. Right? I, I, I'm fine with that. I speak but, Korean, so yeah. it's kind of... I don't want every movie being in Mandarin with English subtitles, right? These are, th th this yeah. is what is at, this is what is at, um, is at stake. And, and what is the Chinese government realizing? You know, we just got out of the Olympics, right? Or a couple months ago. And there was all that focus on that young woman from California who decided to, to, to compete with the Chinese. Yep. I'm not gonna debate the decision of a young 18-year-old woman, but what's even more fascinating is why did Xi Jinping put the hardcore press to get her to do that? He understood the value of having this um, young, young Californian, you know, make the choice. Could have, could have been on the U.S., could have had the U.S. across her, her ski gear. Absolutely. Instead, she was, she was wearing the... So the fact that they're seeing that soft power, the fact that they're using the Belt and Road Initiative to do... It, when you look at the map, of all the countries that they have a, a Belt and Road Initiative in, it is staggering how much money they're putting. And we have debates here in the United States about how 1% of our budget is too much when it comes to foreign aid, yeah. right? So, so this, is, this, this is where things are going, and it really does jeopardize our standing in the world. It jeopardizes our retirements, it, it jeopardizes everything. And, and those are what some of the conversations I think we should be having. Uh, it, what they can use, they can lay this out. Hey, athletes, you're going to become, you have, how many in China now? How many, how many people live in China now? It's almost Over, two, two billion? Yeah, oh, I mean, near two, near you're, two you billion. have immediate access to billions of people that you're going to be a star and a sensation. Yeah. Like, her decision is her decision, but, like, that's a lure for people to be like, that's immediate success. Mm. And, you know, you don't become a... Uh, you know, you, you become popular during the Olympics, but you don't become a national sensation off of one Olympic event. Or if, you know, you know I, I, I'm a big fan of the Olympics. We're, I, sure. I represent Park City. Of course. We're hoping to have them back soon. And we need to, you know, that's soft power. So let me move it away from the soft power and just hit on one thing that I'm in the middle of right now. And I know that our DOD is in the middle of it. And we used to design these contracts. And we have just a few minutes left. But we used to design these contracts uh, Company would take it on, perform a really important, innovative feat for our Department of Defense. And then four or five years later, we're declassifying enough of this, and it ends up being very, very applicable commercial use. Mm -hmm. Those days are slipping away, and it's way too expensive and too timely to develop the capabilities that our Department of Defense needs. We've got to embrace our commercial technology, our small businesses, our cyber world. That's where the work and the innovative work is being done, and it needs to inject into our DoD. And we're figuring out how to go about making this transition. Brother, don't, don't start with me because I love talking <laughs> procurement, right? Because, yeah. because right now, the government needs buy, not build, right? Yeah. The, the fact that it is so hard to get innovative technologies introduced into the government is, is, is plaguing our ability to compete. Um, an authoritarian government like China can get someplace first, right? Because they can move all factors of production in one direction. 
Um, but but I will always take entrepreneurship and, and, and ingenuity and freedom over, over authoritarianism. But yes, we have, and, and part of the problem is the way procurement works in the government. The person purchasing the good or service is different from the person using the good or service, right? And that disconnect is what creates some of that problem. Now, moving some of that, that power and authority uh, to those individuals that are ultimately going to use it, you'll see speed. Um, you know, the CIA usually adopts stuff probably earlier than most folks in the government. Part of that is a, a commitment to the mission yeah. and to help people downrange. And so, so yeah, look, uh, the only way we're going we're to solve this, having allies... Right, having yep. a bigger posse, and making sure that the public and the private sector are working together against dealing with these these issues. An industry I've spent a lot of time in the last over the last year, space. Yeah, the number of commercial companies in space is mind-boggling. Like, like if you would have asked me back in 2015 when I first came into Congress, would there be more space companies than you can name? I would have said absolutely not, no way. I, I know of a company that's going to that's going to be building the first structure on the moon, right? Probably within two years. Yeah. Like it's just it's it's wild, and, and so the science fiction is really becoming science reality. And the only way we're continuing to keep up is if is if public and private sector actually we figure out a way uh, to work together and introduce novel and, and technology into the government. It's uh, the the space piece with the lack of treaties and. The, the, the one one satellite that they blow up. Did you hear the trepidation in the the, uh, the people on the International Space Station? They're like, we have to go on a spacewalk. This might be hitting us. Like you could fear their. Absolutely. It, it is. It's it's a it's a frontier without sounding trekky. Like it's a it's a it's a concern that we don't have the order figured out on how we're going to go manage this and the amount of you know they are now designing every launch based on space junk and how they're going to sure. navigate and miss that and that's only going to keep perpetuating if we don't get. Control over it. Oh, that's a whole other yeah, segment. DIA did a report, I want to say two years ago, and it talked about how space is contested. It's no longer this, we're all holding hands, singing kumbaya, right? Um, when, you, when you create a satellite that has a claw on it, right, that claw is only going to be used for one thing, and that's when it gets close to something else is going to cut it, yeah, hit it, it, knock it out, right? Yeah. right? And, 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 so, and, and what we sometimes forget is how important space is to us here on Earth. Our communications, um, how we navigate, their, you know, understanding the weather, all of that stuff is important. And so these are some of the conversations that are super complex, but we got to be able to find answers to. Well, you're going to sign my book. Uh, again, American Reboot, one of the, one of the book when I, I love about just make a final comment is you have so much personal introspection on, you know, what drives you to do your next thing. Like, any final thoughts on, on your, your, your history, your upbringing, you know, how, how all that plays into your motivation to, to go out and, and stay involved? Sometimes when you leave Congress, people are like, oh, is that? no, like, I think you're doing, you're doing a lot of things. Oh, I, I appreciate that. And, and for me, I've been lucky. I've been lucky to serve my country in a number of different ways. And um, I'm lucky, you know, I have more opportunities than my father had, and I hope for my nieces and my nephews to have more opportunities than I had. And, and it starts with, as my dad always told me, um, have a PMA, positive mental attitude, but also to make sure you model the behavior you want to see happen. If, you know, if you don't like social media and you think it's toxic, well, are you being toxic on social media, right? 
are you encouraging the people that are doing the things you want to see, right? And so model the behavior that you want to see. And when we do that, I think this place will be a little bit better. Awesome. Thank you so Thank much. You, I appreciate it. Yeah, of yep. course. Thanks for listening to this week's Afterwards podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to C-SPAN's podcast about books. Learn about the latest nonfiction books and best-selling authors. In each episode, we report on bestsellers lists and book reviews from around the country. You'll also hear authors talking about their latest books and insider interviews with nonfiction book publishing industry experts.